0: Welcome to the Hillside Church Denver podcast, the home for content from Hillside Church in Denver, Colorado. Hillside exists to help people belong to Jesus people, believe in Jesus, and become like Jesus. And we hope that what you hear today does just that. Go to hillsidedenver.org for more information about this community of Jesus followers. And if you're in the Denver area, we would love to welcome you in one Sunday morning. But for now, onto the pod. 1 Thessalonians 5 uh, 12 to 28. Um, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you, and to regard them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the Spirit, don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us also. Grant, greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this letter be read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you for your word that penetrates deep, that that divides between the marrow. Your word that shines lights into the dark places of our hearts and of our lives and of our souls And your word that shines light on Jesus, on the author and perfecter of our faith, upon our Savior, our King, our Master, our Messiah. And we pray, Lord, that as your word sinks into us, that we would become agents of your peace. We'd become agents of your shalom. That as your Holy Spirit works within the followers of Jesus, we would become that community that you have in mind. That community of love, of peace, of grace, of truth. God of hospitality and of kindness. I pray, Lord, that we would become the kind of community that Paul describes here in 1 Thessalonians as we invest more and more into your word and into the presence of the Holy Spirit in each of our lives and in us as a body. Would you speak today through your word? In the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, We were watching a movie. Family night, uh, uh, Friday night is family movie night for us. We were watching a movie on Friday night and uh, there was a family, there was a, a couple that ran a foster home in this, or a group home in this movie. And uh, the movie's about a, a boy who gets brought into this, this uh, group home and then the things that happen to him and how he grows there um, and how he becomes family with the other kids in this group home. And as the movie was progressing and we were meeting this couple who runs this group home, I was thinking in my head, there's no way in the real world these aren't Christian people. But it's Hollywood, so, you know, they're probably not going to say that. And then, like, 30 seconds later, they're praying over a meal with the kids in their group home. Which was awesome. Um, And I looked at my kids and I was like, see, I told you. Like, there's no way those couple's not Christian because there are things that Jesus followers do that are weird, that look weird. You ever meet someone and you just get the sense, like you get the feeling, this is, this is someone who knows Jesus. And then you meet people who claim to follow Jesus and you spend some time with them and you go, hmm, I don't, I don't know. Do you really know Jesus? I, I know a couple of people And I am trying really hard to love them well. Um, But I know a couple people in my life who are very vocal about their faith, wear t-shirts, and yet are some of the crudest, most crass people. And it's really a struggle for me to love them well. And I go, is this this what we want to project? Is this the image that we want people to see? Is this doing anything for the kingdom of God or is this actually hurting us? And then some of us know Christians who claim to follow Jesus, who maybe aren't crude and crass, but they're arrogant about their faith or they're obnoxious about it. And you would say the same thing of them. Are are we really doing anything for the good news of Jesus by living in self-righteousness and arrogance and pride? Because at the end of the day, I think what we know internally, what we know instinctually is that the greatest witness to the truth of the good news of Jesus is his people. How we live, how we act, how we behave in the world. At the end of the day, the greatest apologetic, I'm going to get to that word in just a minute, For the truth of the good news of Jesus is his transformed people living like Jesus. And the most detrimental thing to the church, the most harmful thing to the church, is when the people of Jesus don't follow Jesus. When we don't live like Jesus... Now, that's hard because we don't want to be a people who are legalistic, who say, you got to follow a certain set of rules or God won't love you, because that's not true. We are a people of grace and of love and of hope, but we are also a people of holiness, a people who are pursuing Jesus and pursuing becoming like Jesus with everything that we are. Back in uh, 125 AD, there was this Christian philosopher in Athens named Aristides, and the Emperor Hadrian was visiting Athens. And while Hadrian was in Athens, Aristides decided to write this letter to Hadrian about why the why Christianity is true, why it's truer than the religions of the Greeks, why it's truly the way that God intended for people to live. And so... Aristides writes this long letter to the Emperor Hadrian, and he says, here's how the barbarians live. That's all non-Greek people, all non-Greek, non-Jewish people. And then here's how the Greeks live, and here's how the Jews live, and here's how the Christians live. And here's what each one believes, and here's why I believe that Christianity is truer than any of these other ways of life. And the longest portion of that letter that Aristides wrote to the Emperor Hadrian was what I'm about to read to you. This is what Aristides had to write to the Emperor Hadrian about how the Christians live in the world. This is the big part of his argument for why Christianity is true. Christians do not commit adultery nor fornication, nor bear false witness, nor embezzle what is held in pledge, nor covet what is not theirs. They honor father and mother and show kindness to those near to them. And whenever they are judges, they judge uprightly. They do not worship idols in the image of man, and whatsoever they would not that others should do unto them, they do not to others. The golden rule. Okay, just that's the golden rule, okay? And of the food which is consecrated to idols, they do not eat, for they are pure. And their oppressors they comfort and make them their friends. They do good to their enemies, and their women, O king, are pure as virgins, and their daughters are modest. And their men keep themselves from every unlawful union and from all uncleanness in the hope of a recompense to come in the other world. Further, if one or other of them have bondmen or bondwomen, slaves or children, they love towards them, through love towards them, they persuade them to become Christians. And when they have done so, they call them brethren without distinction. They do not worship strange gods and they go out, Their way in all modesty and cheerfulness. Falsehood is not found among them, and they love one another. And from widows they do not turn away their esteem. And they deliver the orphan from him who treats him harshly. And he who has gives to him who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. For they do not call them brethren after the flesh but brethren after the Spirit and in God. And whenever one of their poor passes from the world, each one of them, according to his ability, gives heed to him and carefully sees to his burial. And if they hear that one of their number is imprisoned or afflicted on account of the name of their Messiah, all of them anxiously minister to his necessity. And if it is possible to redeem him, they set him free. And if there is among them any that is poor and needy, And if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply the needy their lack of food. They observe the precepts of their Messiah with much care, living justly and soberly as the Lord their God commanded them. Every morning and every hour they give thanks and praise to God for his loving kindness toward them. And for their food and their drink they offer thanksgiving to him. And if any righteous man among them passes from the world, they rejoice and offer thanks to God, and they escort his body as if he were setting out from one place to another near. And when a child has been born to one of them, they give thanks to God. And if moreover it happened to die in childhood, they give thanks to God the more, as for one who has passed through the world without sins. And further, if they see that any one of them dies in his ungodliness or in his sins, For him they grieve bitterly, and sorrow as for one who goes to meet his doom. This is the behavior of the Christians. This is the behavior of the early church that this philosopher Aristides wrote to the Roman emperor. As an apology, a reason for why Christianity is true. Because Aristides understood this, that the greatest witness to the truth of the good news of Jesus is his transformed community. How people live as they follow Jesus. And how that living is different from the rest of the world. This is what Aristides understood. And this is what the Apostle Paul is getting at here in 1 Thessalonians. Wouldn't one you want to live in that kind of community? Where if one of us was hungry, other people in the community would fast in order to give the hungry person their own food. Where when someone dies and can't afford a funeral, the church comes together and says, no, we're going to do it for you. We're going to pay for that funeral. We're going to take care of your expenses. Where all of the people treat one another with kindness and respect and honor. And where even their enemies, they comfort to make them their friends. This is the kind of community, this is the kind of transformed community that should mark us out as followers of Jesus. And this is the greatest witness to the truth of our faith, to a watching world. And here in 1 Thessalonians, that's what the Apostle Paul is getting at here at the end of the letter. He's going through all of these instructions. He's, he's spent a lot of time talking about a lot of different things. We've talked about these in the past few weeks. The Apostle Paul's talking to these Thessalonian Christians who are suffering, who are struggling because the community doesn't want the church to be there. Both the Gentile, that is non-Jewish community, and the Jewish community don't like this new Christian group. They don't want them in their town. They've driven out Paul and, the, and his buddies Silas and Timothy. They've driven them out violently. And to these Christians who are suffering, Paul has written many things. And now here at the end of this letter, Paul is writing these final instructions. And it's, they're all ethical instructions. They're all instructions about how to treat one another. How to live as followers of Jesus. This is what you do. Warn those who are idle. Comfort the discouraged. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone. Including your enemies. But always pursue what is good for one another and for all. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the Spirit, don't despise prophecies, test all things, hold on to what is good, stay away from every kind of evil. These are the instructions of the Apostle Paul to the Thessalonian Christians. Now, how many in this room would read that list and go, Yeah, that's my life? That's like my everyday life. I just do that, man. I'm at peace with everybody, I'm patient with everybody all the time. I never want to get vengeance on anybody. I never want to repay anybody evil for evil. But if somebody does wrong to me, I bless them and I love them and I go on with my life. Right? Who is praying constantly in this room? Who is rejoicing always? Who is living this way? I'll give you a hint. Nobody. The Pope in Rome ain't living this way. I'm not living this way. I want to, down to the deepest fiber of my being, I want to live this life. I want to be this kind of person. I want to be the kind of person that if you read this list and then you thought of Brandon Goad, they would go perfectly together. But it ain't true. My wife will tell you that. My children will tell you that. The leadership team of this church will tell you that. Because they know And it ain't true for you either. None of us are. We're all falling short all the time. It's the hardest truth of the Christian life that followers of Jesus want this for themselves and everybody else, but they can't get it. We are going to fall short. We are going to fail. We are not going to perfectly follow Jesus Our character is not going to be perfectly like Jesus. We are still living in a sinful, fallen, broken world where we will struggle with sin till the day we die. So what do we do with this? If it's true what I said a minute ago, that the greatest witness to the truth of the Christian faith, the greatest witness to the truth of the good news of Jesus is the transformed community of people following Jesus. And yet, we can't live like him perfectly then where are we left? What do we do? I mean, that's a real, that's a head scratcher, right? That's hard. Because on the one hand, I desperately want to follow Jesus. I want to be holy as he is holy. I want to love people like Jesus loved them. I want to be eternally patient with everybody. I want to have someone spit in my face and I respond with a smile and I love you and I'm praying for you. I want that to be who I am. That is not who I am. I want that to be true of me. And I want that to be true of our community. I want it to be true that absolutely anybody can walk through those doors and walk into this place and never feel an ounce of judgment but know the love and grace of Jesus Christ unconditionally, completely. I want your worst enemy to be able to walk through that door on any given Sunday, see you, and know that they are loved and cared for. And that instead of wanting to spit on them or punch them in the face, you have been praying for their good. That's what I want for this community. That's what I want for all of us. But we're going to fall short of it. We're going to disappoint each other. If you haven't been disappointed with someone in the church, you haven't been around the church long enough. We're going to disappoint one another. We're not going to be perfect. And we're going to continue to pray and seek after God and seek after Jesus and be able to say, just like the Apostle Paul, that I, want, my, I can't do the good that I want to do, but I do the bad that I don't want to do. And the grace of God is sufficient for all of us. The grace of God is sufficient. Grace covers a multitude of of sins, Because this life that we are being encouraged to here at the end of this letter and in this letter that Aristides wrote to Hadrian 2,000 years ago, the kind of life that we are being encouraged to is out of our reach and out of our grasp. In fact, it is impossible on our own. We cannot do it. We cannot will ourselves or work ourselves into it. Have you ever noticed that the harder you try to be patient, the more impatient you get? Maybe, maybe it's not true for you. Maybe you're holier than me. But for me, right, the harder I try, especially when I'm in a moment of frustration and of impatience, if I think about being patient, it makes me angry at myself, and then I get more impatient. Or, you ever been around someone who is just really calm and chill All the time, even in the most stressful situations, they're just like it's okay, God is good. If you're an angry person or you're a frustrated person, those are the worst people in the world for you, right? It's like it's like a needle, it's like poking you, you know? Like someone comes to you when you're really worked up and they say, calm down, and you're like, shut up! Don't tell me to calm down, I'm calm. That's, that's my personality. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you're that calm person and I am sorry if I've ever snapped at you. I'm sorry for everybody who's ever snapped at you in your calmness. right? We're not who we want to be. It's the universal human condition. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, I think everybody would say we're not fully who we want to be. Hopefully we're on the road to getting there. The difference For followers of Jesus. The difference for followers of Jesus is that when we fail, as we inevitably will, we have a Lord, we have a King, we have a God who has covered over our failure with grace. Listen to these words. We read all of those instructions that the Apostle Paul gave about how to live, how to follow Jesus, knowing that the people would fail at it. And then Paul writes, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's cool. That's great, right? Be blameless at the coming of Jesus. May God sanctify you. We're on on good footing here. Okay, I'm moving toward sanctification. I'm moving toward holiness. I'm moving toward becoming like Jesus I want to be blameless when Jesus returns. And then he writes the best line in this whole letter. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Not you. God will do it. He is faithful. Because you're not. I'm not. As faithful as I want to be. I nevertheless end up living Unfaithfully to Jesus. I make decisions that are unfaithful to Jesus. I am not faithful all the time. Oh, I'm growing in it. I'm I'm moving toward it by the power of God and His Holy Spirit, but not through any effort of mine. God is faithful when I am not. God is faithful when you are not. God is faithful regardless of how unfaithful we've been. Which is why when my friend who drives me crazy because he's lewd and vulgar and yet says he follows Jesus, I can say, the grace of God covers you. And when my friend who is obnoxious about his faith and loud and in people's face And I think, that's not a good witness to Jesus. Nevertheless, the grace of God covers you. And when I get impatient and I snap at people and I yell at my child who I love so dearly and don't want to, when I fall short of Jesus, nevertheless, the grace of God covers me. Because it is not me making me holy and it is not you making you holy. It is God who is faithful. It is God who will make you holy. It is God who works good in you. And any good that comes out of me is due to the presence of God's spirit in me, not my effort. This is the good news of Jesus. This is what sets the Christian church apart. This is what makes our faith so unique and so special. We all have a goal that we are trying to reach. We as followers of Jesus are all pursuing becoming like him in every way. And we are all failing every day. And yet at the end of every day we can say, God, your grace is sufficient for me. Your grace is sufficient for me right now, where I am, as I am, who I am, with all of my faults and scars and brokenness, and in all the ways that I've hurt the people that I love the most. Your grace is sufficient for me. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. This is the cry of the Christian heart. I am not who I want to be, but Lord Jesus, you can make me who I want to be. I am not who I want to be, but Holy Spirit, you can make me who you want me to be. And there is absolutely no obstacle in my way that is too great for the power of my faithful God. There's nothing standing between me and becoming like Jesus that is not too big for God to overcome, but every single obstacle is too big for me to overcome on my own. I can't do it. I have to surrender control to him. Because the God who loves me and is faithful to make me holy has already overcome the biggest obstacle to my holiness. He's already overcome the biggest obstacle to my becoming like Jesus. My God walked through death for me. My God who dwells in unapproachable splendor. My God who is powerful and glorious beyond measure. My God who lives in eternity, worshipped by angels. Chose out of love for you and me to come and to walk this earth as one of us. And to walk his way right to a cross. To take the death that our sin deserves. So that we could be made holy. And a God who would do that for us. A God who would become himself the sacrifice for our sin. Will be faithful to finish the work that he begins in us. The God who would walk through death. The very author of life who would take on death for us and rise again to be our king, that God will never, ever, 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 ever give up on you and me, no matter how unfaithful we are. No matter how far we stray or how bad we fail or how much we hurt ourselves or others, that God will be faithful to see his work through to the end. That is our faithful God. That is the good news that we follow. That is the Jesus that is our Savior, our King, our Lord. And that is why this is true. That is the truth of the good news of Jesus. We are not faithful. We are not good enough. And that is glorious because God walked through death to bring us life, to call us to himself And God will be faithful to make us like Jesus. And so, our role in all of this is simply to submit. Our role in all of this is not to try and work ourselves up to greater obedience. Our role in all of this is not to try and make ourselves holy by following a list of rules. Our role in this is simply to submit to our Lord Jesus. To come before the throne of God. To bow our knee and say, Lord, I am a sinner. I have run from you. I am not who I want to be. I am not who you call me to be. But you promised God that if I confess my sin, you are faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me of unrighteousness. And so, Father, would you do that now? Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, would you cleanse me of my sin? And would you be faithful to make me holy as Jesus is holy? We submit to our King Jesus. And our good Father in heaven is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to make us holy as Jesus is holy. That's our role in this. So my prayer is that the Holy Spirit of God will be working in each one of our hearts, knocking in each one of our hearts this morning to call us to submit to King Jesus, to lay our sin down before King Jesus, to lay our failures down before King Jesus, to make it okay for us to come here and to confess, I am not who I want to be. Lord, would you make me like Jesus? And so in just a moment, we're going to come to this table and we're going to partake of the body and blood of Jesus as we do every week. We're going to come and we're going to tear from the bread and dip into the cup. And we're going to take into ourselves the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf as a means of receiving the grace of God. Before that, I want to take a moment of quiet for each of us to examine our hearts, to listen to the voice of God, to the voice of the Holy Spirit, And to surrender ourselves anew, or maybe even for the first time, to Jesus. To allow Him to cleanse us of our sin, to make us holy before our God, so that when God looks upon us, He doesn't see our failures, but He sees the glory of Jesus. He sees the sinless perfection of the second person of the Trinity. And so now, would you take a moment and meditate on the truth that God has paid for your sin in Jesus Christ and pray, surrender today to King Jesus. Father, thank you for being faithful when we are unfaithful. Thank you for cleansing us of our sin even when our hearts and our minds were turned from you. For pursuing us even to the point of death on a cross. And God, we know that if in your love you experience death for us, then there is nothing that will stop you. And there is nothing that can stand between us And our God, neither height nor depth nor death nor life, nor angels nor demons nor enemies can stand between us and the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. And so today, would you cleanse us of our sin? Assure us, assure us that when you look upon us, you see the holiness of Jesus. And would you move us, Holy Spirit, to become more like Jesus every day of our lives? Up until that day when we see you face to face and we stand in your glorious presence, blameless by the blood of the Lamb. In the name of our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.